Good afternoon. This is Truth, Lies, and Shenanigans for Sunday, November 29th, 2020. I go by the name Neil Nix, and I'll be your moderator for the shenanigans today. Let me introduce you to our co-host, professor, journalist, and master of the debate, Lizzie Enders. This is my stomach after Thanksgiving. All of these sides, all of this food, all of these drinks. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Happy post-Thanksgiving. And our cerebral Canadian rock star with the band Fallen Machine, Robbie Rock. Hey, everyone. Hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving, that you feasted well, that you celebrated responsibly, you did your thing. Welcome to the show. And of course, our wonderful production assistant, Gianni Storm. Hey, guys. I hope that you didn't succumb to the pressure of Black Friday and you had a great weekend following Thanksgiving. <laughs> Yeah, Black Friday. Yeah, a lot going I'm on. Waiting for I'm waiting for Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for today's show, we'll gain. We'll be gaining some of our going back over some of our favorite segments of the past with you. Tonight's show, our most watched guest spotlight, author Jeff Perlman. Then delegate Jocelyn Pena Melnick celebrates the Biden win with us, and. Our game, most likely, too, with all the original TLS hosts and more fun highlights from our previous shows. Remember, all our streams are live just about everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter at TLS Live Show, or you can watch us at truthfyshenanigans.com. And so you never miss an episode. <laughs> you never miss an episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, guys, time for our quick fire question of the day. Bring it, bring it. All right, guys, Trump is still <laughs> ranting that he didn't lose the election, which we all know he thankfully lost. But if still on January 20th, Trump is still left in the White House, how do you think they'll get him out? Is he? I mean, is this, this is what happens when you elect a president who isn't familiar with the Constitution, who isn't familiar with the laws of our government. You don't, you don't just get to sit there and say, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Regardless of what his position is, regardless of if he concedes, come January 21st, he is no longer president of the United States. It doesn't matter what he says. By the law, by the rules of the written constitution of these United States, he is no longer in power and he has to go. And so whether or not, you know, he decides that he's just going to sit there and throw a tantrum, legally, they can have him kicked out. Legally, he's a squatter. Legally, he's trespassing. Legally. So hopefully, hopefully it won't come to that. But he has no right to be there after January 20th. By right. law, by the Constitution. Robbie, what? Piggyback on that. The same way that you would eject any bad tenant who's refusing to leave the premises. You wait for him to leave the house when he goes golfing in Florida, and you change the locks. <laughs> change the locks. Uh, Gianni, change the locks. Get rid of Trump. <laughs> I think, like, like Lizzie said, legally he has to go. Like. They, first, he has a lot of things against him, so first send him to jail, and then I think that he—that <laughs> would be awesome. January twenty-first, like, lock him up. 
There'll be riots, there'll be protests, because, you know, half of America, well, more than half of America hates him. So, um, yeah, he, he has no choice but to go if if half of America does come in the, into the White House and take him out personally. Yep. <laughs> Me personally, I got Pence. Mike Pence coming in, dragging him out, kicking and screaming. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, think, I, think Pence, I think Pence is going <laughs> to be like... <laughs> Backbone in his life. What are you talking about? Mike Pence ain't got no smoke. He got to ask mother first. He got to ask mom. mother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His wife, he calls mother. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, he's got to go. Though. He's got to go. I, I'm just, me personally, you know, I am a Trump hater. And I am happy that he will be gone after all of this he's putting us through, even after he's lost. I mean, just yeah. go away. I just want him to go away into nothingness. <laughs> he is gonna go away. I think that he will eventually go away on his own, on his own, in his own way. He seems like that type of egotistical person that that he's gonna say, "Oh, I went out in my own way." Yeah. So yeah, he's gonna leave. Yeah. But all right. Well, I think because his followers don't really understand the laws of the land, understand the Constitution, they're buying into this rhetoric that he's putting out, but not realizing he has no ground to stand on. He has to leave. That is the law. And the United States government can enforce that law. They don't want to because it's not a, look, a good look for us at all. Um, but they will if they have to. Like, Joe Biden, because he will be president of the United States on January 21st, could call the National Guard in and be like, get him out. Get him out. Yep. Hopefully it won't come to that because it makes us look bad and it, it divides us more as a people. But come on, go. Get out. Yeah. You saw the movie. Out. Get out. <laughs> yeah. <Hey> guys. <laughs> well, for the rest of the show, we're going to be sharing with you some of our clips from our previous episodes. We hope that you enjoy them. Have a good time watching. Have fun. Enjoy that turkey hangover. <laughs> <laughs> For our first segment from Season 1, Episode 56, our most watched guest spotlight so far, good friend of our Lizzie, author and sports writer Jeff Perlman, came to the show to talk Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, and the Lakers, promoting his book, Three Ring Circus. So prepare yourself for some great stories. So we have an amazing guest spotlight today. Today's guest spotlight is sports writer and author, Jeff Perlman. Jeff, welcome to the show. We have a legitimate superstar celebrity. <laughs> Where? Where is he? <laughs> welcome. Right. Welcome, welcome to the show. Okay. Jeff is a New York Times bestselling author of nine books. He's a former Sports Illustrated senior writer and ESPN.com columnist. He also co-hosts the Two Writers Flinging Yang podcast. His books include biographies of Walter Payton, Brett Favre, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens as well as profiles on the 86 Mets, the 90s Cowboys, the 80s Lakers, and his most recent title, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, was just released in September. 
and is now available on Amazon.com. Yes. The number one sports book on Amazon right now. The number one sports book on Amazon right now. Thank Get you it. so much for joining us, Jeff. Kudos. It's like having my mother brag about me hearing. Uh, <laughs> don't forget my mom would be like, my Jewish mom would be like, don't forget to tell them it's the number one book in sports on Amazon. Just you know, we're clear for the audience. Jeff and I go way back. So I got my start as an intern and then a reporter, journalist at Sports Illustrated. And Jeff was already there as a senior writer at Sports Illustrated um, when I started back in the summer of 1998. So we have known each for a very long time he is a very dear friend to me he actually gives me comments when i don't even want to comment nicely about myself so we've been through a lot of um interesting conversations together interesting perspectives covered a lot of stories together so it is a pleasure to have him here all right so i know you're friends with elizabeth with lizzie sorry our lizzie um, Newman, Newman. Now feel free Newman. to tell us a little bit more about yourself but also, an audience would definitely love to hear any juicy, salacious stories you have about working with uh, our wonderful Lizzie. I have a great one. So I'm going to bring it up and talk about it. <laughs> I was doing a story. I was doing a story for Sports Illustrated. I was a baseball writer mainly, but they had me do an Allen Iverson story. And I went to Philly and they sent me there and they sent Newman um kind of after me last minute to help me with the reporting because it was a tough story and iverson was being difficult and for some reason philly all the hotel rooms were booked and there was so i had a room and we were going to share a room and i was like i i was either married at the time or you know whatever dating my wife now and i was like innocently which you obviously know i was like well, we could just share the bed what's the big deal you know you put some pillows down the middle and she's like no you can't you can't share a bed <laughs> right hell no <laughs> and I was I was actually making a very moralistic point, like, what's the big deal? Obviously, nothing's going to happen. It's not like that, blah, 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 blah. So then I think you actually said, you might have said, call your wife and see what she thinks. Now, you weren't saying call your wife to, to come up with the answer. You were just like, watch what happens when you call your wife and ask her. So I call my wife, who's as trusting and open-minded as there is, and like, would never, wasn't like thinking like, oh, he's Chino. And she, she's like, no, no, no woman would ever be like, yeah, I'll just share a bed with a guy. So... We didn't share the bed. We didn't share the bed. But that's how tight we are. That's how tight we are. You know. We could have shared the bed. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. No, I mean, we... good to have a friendship like that. <laughs> yeah. it, it's no, hard to can. find those male female friendships like that. We're, we're lucky. We're, we're blessed to have it. So. Yeah, right, yeah you so definitely are. I was listening to your book on Audible, and I love your writing style. I, I see why Thank you're you. a best-selling writer. It's because you're you're about storytelling, and, and when I was listening, I often felt like I was there. You know, like a voyeur you know, watching what was going on behind the scenes. I don't want to give anything away, but you throw us right into the fight at the start of the book. So, yeah. <laughs> and you pull no punches when you critique people, which is, you know, that's, that's, that's really good. So, and you made me laugh a lot. So I, can you tell viewers a little bit more about the book, uh, Three Ring Circus? So it's a, uh, it's basically Chronicles of 96 to 04 Lakers. So the arrival of Shaq and Kobe, until Shaq was traded to Miami and Phil Jackson wasn't brought back. And uh, it's actually my second Laker book. It's the only time I've ever doubled up on a topic. I did a book about the Magic Johnson era called Showtime. And um, Showtime! Showtime! <laughs> I was on a podcast Michael Cooper hosted, and he said to me, he goes, I have one complaint about this book. 
why is AC Green on the cover, not me? Right? And if you look at it, <laughs> well, yeah, look at it again, it's a very fair argument. I was like, I don't even, there's no argument for that one. You're actually right. Like my AC Green should not be on the cover. You should probably be on the cover. <laughs> um, but I've written two Laker books and, um, you know, I just, I just really thought sort of, I wrote it before Kobe died, but I really thought the Shaq-Kobe dynamic was fascinating. Um, books sort of hang, or to hang on big characters. And um, Shaq, Kobe, Phil, huge characters. Jerry West, a big character. Jerry Buss, a huge character. There's just a lot of things to write about. So um, it took me about two years. It was a nightmare. It was really hard. It was probably the hardest book I've ever written. But, you know, you uh, books are hard. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, and, and so Antonio or Neo, you know, brought up the fight and um, or the one fight that you write about. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, do you think people actually really knew, like everyone knew that they didn't get along, Kobe and Shaq. Everyone knew that there was kind of like this tussle back and forth for ownership. You know, Kobe screaming, this is my team. Shaq is screaming, no, motherfucker, yeah. this is my team. And I say that as a quote from the book. I quote the book. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Do you think like Laker fans really knew that it was that bad, that it had gotten physical? I think they'd forgotten a little bit. I think um, what happened is with time, about a year and a half ago, maybe Shaq and Kobe sat down and did a special on, uh, I think it was on Turner, where it's very cordial and very polite. And then um, when Kobe had his last game, Shaq showed up and there were hugs and blah, blah, blah. And, and I think um, things tend to, people tend to forget what it was like in the time period. Time tends to soothe things. So I think, um, I do think they forgot. I, I don't think they didn't know, I think they forgot. So. Um, but it, it was really interesting. I mean, the one fight that you guys referenced, it happened in 2002, and I opened the book with it, and it was a fight between uh, Kobe Bryant and um, Samaki Walker, a forward. And basically, the Lakers used to do this game where they would uh, they would each, during shoot-around, they'd all take half-court shots, and whoever made it first uh, would get 100 bucks from every player. And Kobe, this day, won. He's going around collecting money from every player, and, and Samaki Walker, forward with the team, is like, I don't have money now. I'll pay you later. And he tries to get it later. And he's like, yeah, I don't have your money. I'll get it to you later. Because not everyone walks around with a $100 bill in their pocket. And um, they're on a bus in Cleveland. And Kobe goes up to him and in the back of the bus. And he goes, yo, Maki, where's my money? <laughs> and Samaki Walker's like, I'll get your fucking money when, you, when I have it. And Kobe reaches back and pops him in the face. And Samaki Walker is six foot nine. Not, Samaki Walker is not a small guy. And he's from, you know, he's kind of a tough background. He's, he's not a, a wilting flower. And he stands up and he said he was sitting next to Jelani McCoy. And he goes to Jelani McCoy, and I too will be quoting from the book. He goes, did this motherfucker just hit me in the face? And <laughs> Jelani McCoy's like, yeah, he did. And Shaq is standing there and Shaq goes, yo, just to uh, Smocky Walker, he goes, yo, you got to fuck this guy up. And uh, Smocky Walker goes, stop the bus. Stop the fuck, Phil, stop the fucking bus. And Phil Jackson, all right, tells the bus drivers, all right, stop the bus. They're in the middle of Cleveland. Tamaki Walker's like, all right, Kobe, right now, let's go. Let's go. And Kobe won't get off the bus. And Tamaki Walker's basically says, yeah, I didn't think so, bitch. And they get back on the bus. They get to the hotel. And Tamaki Walker gets to his hotel room. And there's a message on his, on his phone in the room. And it's, it's uh, Kobe Bryant crying, like sobbing. Yo, Maki, I don't know what got into me. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. Oh my God, I can't believe this. And then later at the arena, again, Kobe Bryant, really sad. 
crying and, and apologizing. And it really like Smocky Walker, when he talked to me about the story, we met at a coffee shop in LA and when he told me the story, he wasn't using it to dog Kobe Bryant. This is while Kobe was still alive. He wasn't using it to dog Kobe Bryant. He was saying it to explain that this guy, there were a lot of complex, there are a lot of layers to this guy and a lot of complexities and a lot of Kobe Bryant yep. was trying to cover up for what he wasn't and trying to take on these different personas and build up this wall. And he just was never really comfortable with himself in a lot of ways. And, you know, that was kind of smocky while he's trying to put up this tough guy front, but he really wasn't that tough. Yeah. I, so fast forward to another fight, if you will, another physical confrontation, 2003 pickup game. Yeah. Shaq smacks the bejesus out of Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you have, um, I can't remember his first name, but Polonese is saying he, you're oh, told, you told him yeah. that if Polonese was holding Shaq back, like Shaq hit Kobe, and then people immediately tried to intervene. Polonese is holding Shaq back. He's screaming at other people. Somebody grabbed Kobe. Somebody shut him up or whatever. And he says in the book, if I had let him go, Shaq would have killed Kobe. Do you think yeah. Kobe? It was, and people don't really think about it. Like we think, yeah, we know they didn't like one another. There was like some tensions back and forth. But even though I was covering games like yourself during this time, I never saw any physical confrontations. So this was like taking me back. And it was like, wow, they were really, they really did not like one another. So in that confrontation, Shaq said, I'll get you traded. Yeah. Do you think if not for take take the rape allegations out of the picture? Because that that set a new tone for the organization. You, you're talking you you're referring to rape allegations against Kobe. Against Kobe. Make sure our audience knows. So. Do you think Shaq had the juice to get Kobe traded? No. I do not. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, you can maybe make the argument if this were in Kobe's first two seasons me and they got like whatever an offer of Scotty Pippen or something you know Pippen was always on the block maybe but not really I think you know I mean when Jerry West worked out I mean the whole Kobe coming to the Lakers thing was because Jerry West just thought this guy was a phenomenon which he and he was right um yeah, yeah. I mean you know like the basically I mean to go real quick then 96 and Nets had the Bryant. It was a lock. We're going to take Kobe Bryant. And um, John Calipari, was he, uh, do you ever deal with Cal? Yeah, I've, I've dealt with Cal. And if Greg Kelly is watching, he hates John Calipari. So yeah, yeah. I've dealt with Cal. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was, you know, he was a, he was a coach of the Nets and they were set. They worked out Kobe four or five times and loved him. And they were set to take him. And John Nash was a GM. Kobe was a, was the, uh, uh, Calipari was a coach. They work them out. They love them. They call Kobe's parents before the draft. How do you feel about us taking your son? Oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Kobe, though, has a deal with Adidas already. And Adidas does not want him playing in East Rutherford, New Jersey. They want him, you know, <laughs> big. And the Lakers work him out twice, love him. Uh, Arn Tellum is Kobe's agent. Arn Tellum and Jerry West are very close. We, we, they were, we'd love to get him to L.A. Everyone wants him in L.A. And... Um, Jerry West actually first calls the Nets and said, would you do a swap for the number eight pick? Nets are like, no way. Jerry Weston calls Charlotte, who has a 13th pick, and says, would you do this deal, Vlade, for the pick? 
Yes, if you can get, yes, we'll do that, sure. So basically, um, Kobe calls John Calipari and says, the, the day before the draft, and says, yeah, coach, I don't want to play with you guys. I want to get away from my parents. It's total bullshit. That's what he said. Calipari freaks out. He goes into the GM's office, John Nash. He's like, John, what? I don't know what we're going to do. John Nash is like, calm down. It's just a bluff. Uh, his agent, Kobe's agent, calls Calipari. Cal, here's the thing. Uh, he doesn't want to play for you. He'll probably, if you guys take him number eight, he's going to go to Italy for the year. Calipari runs into the GM's office. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Cal, it's just a bluff. This is my favorite moment. I got this from Kendall Gill um, initially. Carrie Kittles. Hi, I love Kendall Gill. Carrie Kittles <laughs> is uh, represented by David Falk, who is Michael Jordan's agent. And he really wants to play for the Nets. And he's, you know, he's an All-American out of Villanova. So David Falk calls um, John Calipari and says, listen, if Kerry Kittle's my guy, is there at number eight and you don't take him, I'm never going to have a free agent go to, you, go to you again. Oh, wow. And Calipari's like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on here? He runs into John Nash. John Nash is like, calm down. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Calipari's freaking out. The morning of the draft comes, and um, Calipari holds a meeting, and he says with Nash and all the guys, he's like, here's what we're going to do. Kerry Kittles is there at number eight. We're taking Kittles. If he's not, we're taking Kobe Bryant. And John Nash had, I mean, uh, Calipari in his contract had final personnel say over his GM. So John Nash is horrified. Kerry Kittles is there at number eight. They take Kerry Kittles. As, uh, Kobe falls to Charlotte. And Jerry West says to Jerry Buss, the owner, as soon as this happens, he goes, I just got you the best player in this draft. I guarantee you. Um, so Jerry West was always huge on Kobe. And I just don't think even Shaq, I think they would have pushed as hard as possible to make it work out between the two of them, not trade them. Long-winded answer, but. Well, there's a question online from Jacqueline Robinson. How did the rape accusations impact the team? That's a, first of all, it's the craziest season ever. It's 2003, 2004. You could have written, I could have written a book about this season. That was the year when Carl Malone and Gary Payton both signed as free agents, so they make this super team, right? Um, Shaq wants his contract renegotiated. The Lakers won't do it. There's a point during the preseason when Shaq is running down the court and Jerry Buss is sitting courtside and Shaq goes, pay me, pay me while doing this. Phil Jackson doesn't know whether he's going to be brought back. Kobe has basically decided, I'm going to go to the Clippers. Fuck the Lakers, I'm going to the Clippers. Um, and he's also flying back and forth to Eagle, Colorado. And at one point um, in the preseason, Kobe is, is an Eagle, so he's not a training camp with, with the Lakers in Hawaii. And uh, a reporter asked Shaq, are you upset not having your whole team here? And Shaq goes, my whole team. Then there's another part, part. Say it again. Now, we lost you for a second there, but Shaq said our whole team is here. Yeah, our whole team is here. Then there's another part. Um, they're flying back from training camp, and Shaq and Kobe's not on the plane. This is one of my favorite moments. It's insane. I mean, it's gross, but it's insane. They're flying back to the mainland, and Shaq used to carry, like, DJ equipment with him and he basically starts doing this freestyle rap to 50 Cent song Pimp, but he calls it rape. So instead of P period, I period, M period, P, he calls it R period. You know, and I, I forgot the lyrics ever, but it was basically mocking Kobe Bryant about raping a girl. Oh I mean, it was really dark. It got really dark. Um, and they... Three ring circus. Three ring circus. I mean, the thing is, like, they didn't like Kobe at this point. Like, they did not like Kobe. Shaq couldn't stand Kobe. Most of the players couldn't stand Kobe. That doesn't mean Kobe's a bad guy when he died at 41, to be clear. 
But at this point in his life, he was a weird thing he did. He was flying back and forth to Eagle, Colorado for the trial, pre-trial. Now this is, he went to Eagle initially to get his surgery without telling the Lakers, it was knee surgery, didn't tell the Lakers, um, had sex or, you know, or rape, we don't you know, know for sure, with this young woman. He did that, that was on him. He's flying back and forth to Eagle, Colorado, and he's furious with the Lakers that they're not sending him a nice, using a nice enough plane to fly him back and forth. And I kept thinking when I was reading that, man, you are lucky they're not putting you middle seat Delta to make you pay. You know, like, it's insane. So I just think the whole year was really negative, like really dark and negative. And um, I just think uh, a lot of that was due to Kobe and his behavior. It was just a dark year. It was a really dark year. This were on and Kobe. I think it- and I think you you mentioned this in the book. It, it exposed where Kobe um, sat with his teammates. Like this was a guy who, you know, got engaged without telling his teammates, as you mentioned in the book, got engaged without telling his teammates, got married without inviting any of his teammates. None of his teammates have been to his home. He didn't hang out with any of them. He barely ate with them. And so when this came about, when the charge, when the allegations came about that he had allegedly raped this young woman in the hotel room um, in Eagle, Colorado, the teammates were like, eh, you mentioned that Phil Jackson, when Arden Tellum called Phil Jackson, was like, you're not going to believe this. Phil Jackson was like, no, I I do believe it because there's a dark side to Kobe and he wasn't calling Kobe a rapist at all. And he said, there's a dark side to Kobe that the public does not see, that only I as his coach and his teammates see. And I think that that was a very poignant point to make in the book, because we often talk about these players as superstars, as the best ever, as goats or whatever, but we really don't get to see who they are when the lights go off, right. when the crowd... Well, you know what's really interesting? I used to... Um... A guy you know, I think. I used to room in New York City with a guy named Russ Bankson, who was the editor of Slam Magazine. And you know Russ, yeah. And um, I was a Lakers story with Russ, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I love Russ. And Russ and I went to Delaware together. We were, we were friends of Delaware. And um, he, um, I remember like he was the editor of Slam Magazine. And Slam was so cool and hip and dope and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And it was Iverson with the cornrows and the tats. And it was, you know, the merging of hip hop and culture and basketball. And whenever they would put Kobe on, and we talked about this at the time, it was forced because he wasn't, he wasn't really hip hop and he wasn't, you know, quote unquote street. And he didn't come from Newport News or from Coney Island. He was a guy from Italy and a guy from suburban Philadelphia, you know, and he just wasn't, it wasn't authentic. And I just think a lot of what he was trying to do and what a lot of Phil Jackson was talking about, uh, that Sally Nation talked about is sort of, he was always covering up. He was always covering up who he was and trying to be something he wasn't. And I just think when you grow up and you take Brandy to the prom and boys to men are your press conference going, going pro and you got a shoe deal at 17. I forgot, it, all that stuff. I forgot he took Brandy to the prom. To Brandy to the prom. He didn't even know Brandy and he took her to the prom. Boys to men are his press conference. Um, he gets a shoe deal at 17. Like he was raised in a bubble. Like he was just raised in a bubble. He really was. And like, I think what you see with a lot, I mean, I always think of it sounds dumb being a kid and loving different strokes and then seeing Emmanuel Lou, I mean, uh, Gary Coleman, I like Webster too, Gary Coleman's life path and like the <laughs> sadness, like being raised in a bubble, you know, or like Ricky Schroeder, like all these people mm-hmm. who are kids and they're raised to be this way and they don't grow up normal. 
and they can't have a normal conversation and they struggle to relate like that was Kobe Bryant. And I even think the craziest part of that Eagle thing for me, reporting wise, was um, reading him. So he's approached by police officers, by two uh, Eagle Colorado sheriffs, uh, uh, detectives outside the hotel where he's staying. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I detail this in the book a lot. Any functioning human being would say, um, I need my attorney. I need my attorney. I can't say anything without my attorney. And basically Kobe sits there and first he lies to them. They ask if he had sex with a woman. He says, no. Then they're like, Kobe, you know, we, we gave her a rape test. And he's like, well, okay, here's the thing. Maybe I did. Okay, I did. Then they're trying to get him to take him back to their, his hotel room. They're like, look, Kobe, we don't want to do this in public. We want to do this in private. Let's go back to your room. Now, obviously they're taking him back. You can see it. You see it all working like this. They're taking him back to the room because they want to be at the scene of the alleged crime. And he's like, okay, we'll do that. Why don't you tell your bodyguard? They don't have to worry about it. They're, tell them not to come. Okay, I'll do that. Like for a guy who is so clutch in the moment, and I'm not trying, I swear to God, I'm not trying to like step on a person who died. Like I think Kobe at 41, it's tragic and horrible, hundred percent. It's remarkable though, a guy who performed in the clutch so well in this moment, he's sitting there and he just crumbles apart. And I just think when you saw him in the real world, a lot of times, same thing, he gets caught in that situation and he, he has this press conference with his wife, Vanessa, and he presents her with this ridiculous ring. And it was like, it was the reaction of a adolescent. You know, it was the response of an adolescent. I'm going to get her this big ring and I'm going to present it to her in front of all these people. Are you like, really grown up yet? He just hadn't grown up. And he's actually, say that again? Four million dollar ring. Million dollar ring. Yeah. Um, my wedding ring costs 100. I think not even 100. <laughs> I think it was 50 bucks. Yeah. Um, I lost my first one. Um, no, but the point is like, he just didn't know. He just didn't, like, he's almost, in a lot of ways, he's a tragic figure. Right. In a lot of ways, he's a tragic figure yeah. because, because he didn't have the wherewithal and the development to handle things in a certain way. That doesn't mean that doesn't excuse his behavior. I just think it's kind of sad. And a lot of times I kept thinking when I was reporting on Kobe, like the word I kept thinking was pathetic and not pathetic in like he's an asshole or he's like, it's so pathetic. The effort, this, you so badly need to be this image that you can't allow yourself to be yourself or, or maybe you don't even know who you are. And there's something just sad about that. You know. All right. Um, I saw you had one last question. Go ahead, Lizzie. Dang, you made me forget what the question was. Oh, do you think if if he had not died in that horrible accident in January of this year, do you think Kobe would have read this? I do actually. I think he was more likely to than Shaq. Um, it's funny. It's not funny actually. First of all, as I always say. I would, and I really sincerely, 1 million percent obviously mean this. I would trade this book's existence for that to have never happened. You know, like I, to me, it was one of the most tragic. I mean, it was just, it's beyond tragic and all the people and his daughter. So, um, but I will say it's always awkward when you have a book come out and it's heavily critical of a certain, of a character or a person. Um, him dying, you don't have that awkwardness. You know what I mean? Like it's not because he's not, but it's so freaking sad. Like it's so profoundly sad. Um, so sad. But he's not. It's so oh, sad. It is unbelievable. It is. It hangs over everything, and like, it hangs over. I've never written a book where 
I've never read a book, obviously, where the protagonist, main protagonist dies after the book came out. And it's just the sadness of that and the tragedy of that hangs over this entire thing. Um, it just sucks. It's just the freaking worst. It's such a weird year that it feels like that was five years ago. But oh, it's so it freaking feel sad. like it's been forever. Right? I, it, I had to make sure that it happened this year. I had to actually double check. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. All right. So. Well, I wanted you to last words in, uh, Jeff. Um, anything you'd like to say? Tell people um, you know, where to find you, et cetera. Buy the book. I want. I just want to thank Elizabeth Newman for teaching me everything I've ever known about sports and life, and uh, <laughs> and the Lakers. And uh, thank you guys for having me on. This has been really fun. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Elizabeth Newman fan. Probably the biggest. So it's a. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. We are too. Thanks we are so fans. much, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. We're ready. Thank you. Do well right. Do well right. I'm gonna try. No. I do my oh, best. No. All right. Again, the book is Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. Make sure you check out jeffperlman.com or amazon.com. Amazon, number one sports book on Amazon, people. Thank you again, Jeff, for joining us. All right. Take care, guys. Yeah. Wow. It's so funny interviews that run long but they don't feel long it didn't feel long at all I, i'm looking no. i'm like wow it's already you know time has passed <laughs> a great conversation. you know from because a lot of the things that jeff talked about in the book a lot of the events a lot of the nba championships that he talked about in the book both he and I were there for. And so it was like going down memory lane. So he and I could have just gone story I for know, story. Right? <laughs> I was trying to get Rob B in there. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it was just their personal anecdotes. He was there for a lot of it and behind the scenes. And what I really appreciated was what he shared about, you know, that's the best, the best thing you can hear from a writer is someone, hey, you know, I learned something about that. And I was there. I was part of this. But I learned something that I didn't know about. I, and it's true. Like I love people watching gathering stories too. I, I, yeah, I thought that that was just a, it was a pinnacle moment for him. I was happy for him. It's pretty cool. And I have to say, and this is the final, you know, thought or note for me. I remember January 26, 2020, like it was yesterday. It was a, a I, it just started school at Howard. So it was um, a Sunday that was off. I slept in that day. I didn't find out about Kobe until about maybe an hour and a half after the announcement was released, if you will. And after the initial shock, and I was completely shocked. And I, I you know, grew up covering this kid. Wasn't necessarily a Kobe fan, but I understood his greatness. And I, I mean, I was speechless, which is very rare for me. And then after going over what happened and then understanding that not only Kobe died, but his 13-year-old daughter, and then seven other people. The thing that bothered me the most is that his um, daughters, the children, but you know how I am with children. I immediately thought about Jeff because I knew the book was near its finish. Mm. And I was just mm. like, oh my, like, how does this affect this story, this, and, and that's the journalist in me talking, you know, and I don't mean to say that as someone who is insensitive or whatever, but as journalists, we, we do kind of gravitate towards the story. I thought about Jeff and I thought about, okay, well, what does this do for his book? Because he's been working on this for a very long time. I don't know how this is going to go over, but I mean, I, as someone who, again, was not a Kobe fan, um, covered him a lot, you know, been to games, whatever, but that 
that moment in on January 26th, like took me outside of myself for a bit. I just want to get a few um, comments and, in. Um, and I think that was the case for a lot of people in this country. From online, uh, before we move on. Uh, so Mike Winter says, these stories about old Kobe are why it took me so long to soften on him. Liz, uh, Liz and I must have talked about this stuff. Uh, Laurent Pearsall said, yeah, I remember Slam. Uh, and Jacqueline Robinson <laughs> says, I remember that Randy prom date. Uh, Winter says also, Kobe needed to be more like Grant Hill instead of trying to front like he was all hard. So I had to concentrate um, on the behavior. But he and Grant Hill had different things to prove, if you will. Like, there, there, there's a difference between Grant and Kobe. People respected Grant. Grant wasn't drafted as an 18-year-old who didn't go to college. Right. Kobe was drafted out of high school. Um, and I, I think that led to a lot of his insecurities yep. because people constantly questioned his ability. Yep. For our next segment, Season 1, Episode 62, guest hosts Mark Gagne and Maryland State Delegate Jocelyn Pena-Melnick joined the show on the day after Joe Biden was officially declared president-elect of the United States, and Kamala Harris became the first woman and person of color named vice president-elect. But most importantly, finally ending the nightmare that was Donald Trump. This was our post-victory conversation. All right, let's get right on into our big topic of the week. Joe Biden is now president-elect. Kamala Harris will be the first ever female vice president and Donald Trump. Lose <laughs> your job. You about to lose your job. All right, we have a special guest to join us to talk about it. Delegate Jocelyn Tanya Melnick joins our show. Thank you for coming back. Jocelyn, how are you? I honest to God, the stress level in my household Ooh. has been reduced tremendously. It has Ooh. affected all of us. All of us. I, I have not been able to sleep this week, honestly. It's yeah. just, it's beautiful to see that, you know, he finally got what he needed to be president and to see Kamala Harris speak yesterday and him, it was just really inspiring, right? Not only can you hope, but you can work hard, you can achieve the dream. I am just really, Elated. Now, for those that don't know Delegate Tanya Melnick, she joined us shortly after she cast her vote at the Democratic National Convention for Joe Biden as an elected delegate in Maryland for Biden. She also serves in the Maryland House of Delegates as a Maryland State Delegate. We are so excited to have your expertise back on the show. Now, I'm just going to start out. You know, when you when you heard it yesterday, I mean, what what did you do? What what did you do when you found out yesterday that he was definitely the president-elect, and Kamala was the vice president-elect. What, what did you do? I was in my pajamas all day <laughs> because, <laughs> because I, it was one of those days that I never have, and yesterday I decided to be in my pajamas as I clean. And when I heard it, honest to God, I opened my door. I ran across the street to my neighbor's house because she and I have both been um, pins and needles. And I said, did you hear? And I said, I'm going to run back to my house now because I realized I was in my pajamas. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, I it's, this, do, it's I just speaking for for Biden uh, movement. <laughs> I was just so excited. I mean, me and my you know Mel, so me and my wife we were holding uh doing high fives and everything. I mean, we it's just like you said, it's like you can finally breathe again. Mark, what, what were your what was happening with you? What did you do? Oh. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, up in, I can't imagine how people were down in the US, but uh, up in Canada, like I, I was kind of on pins and needles this, you know, since Tuesday, uh, I mean, well, even before that, just hoping, hoping that Biden would win. And my girlfriend and I uh, are very plugged into, uh, you know, news and in the election. And, uh, and we're just, we're so relieved that uh, that Biden won. I mean, it's it's been a, a long four years of just chaos. So we're, you know, we're, we're kind of just looking forward to some some sanity being yeah. brought back, you know, like question it like every day, you know, the news would come on and there'd be something crazy going on with Trump and, and his, uh, you know, group. And so yeah, we're looking forward to some sanity coming back and some uh, some decorum and yeah, we're, we're we're very happy. Robbie, what were your thoughts? Uh, I no, you've when been a, I you've been on the show every week. <laughs> We've been talking about Trump, 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 like every day. <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, when I saw the numbers finally roll in, when I saw two eighty four to two fourteen, I jumped out of my office chair and ran into the living room with the phone out, going, "Baby." Hey, look, look, look at what happened. Look at what happened. They did it. They did it. And uh, yeah, it's, it is a big sigh of relief in Canada because uh, Trump's administration has cost Canadians a lot. It has caused the, it has caused rifts between our two countries, uh, between ideologies. And after hearing Joe and Kamala's speeches, I feel like the office of the president of the United States finally has reason and like Mark said, decorum. I've always said that about Trump, just the lack of decorum. So to have that level of respect and decorum in the Oval Office again, brings hope about for the international community. It's not just you that was on pins and needles. It's all of us <laughs> breathing a collective sigh of relief, but I understand it's ground zero for you. So I really hope that the next four years can be that of healing and unity and working towards something better. And let me uh, play this clip real quick. We did it. We did it, Joe. This was her initial reaction. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> so humble. I know, so right? humble. I mean, what a humble individual. Like, that is the honest truth. And they both are humble and charismatic. What we have been lacking for four years. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's amazing to have real people with feelings. I mean, it wasn't as it wasn't just that he had bad policies or that you know it wasn't like dealing with uh, Bush back in the day where you know you didn't like a lot of the stuff he did, you didn't like his policies. This guy was just caustic, caustic, mm -hmm. and it's so good that it just feels good that that will be gone. Jocelyn? Yeah, he was he was such a, a toxic. Oh, sorry. No, no, good, good. You go no, ahead, Mark. No, no, it's okay. It, he was just such a toxic individual. Like, I don't think I've ever encountered a more toxic person yeah. in the public, in the public view. And, and, you know, it's like, it's like a glitch in the matrix has been repaired now, you know, like we were like living like the worst timeline. 
And and now it's like the, the universe is sort of repairing itself, or at least I hope so. I mean, there's a lot of damage done, but hopefully we can start repairing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just toxic, you know, very, as a Afro-Latina, as a woman, I feel like he did not, he wasn't my president, right? Yep. Um, and he spoke so poorly of, you know, Blacks, Latinos, people with disabilities, like there wasn't a group that could he could spare. Right. The guy was just really, I hate to say it, he was racist, a bigot, divisive nasty, disrespectful, you know, I felt like not just the policy work and the issues that should be on the ballot, like healthcare, the economy, COVID-19, education, transportation, you know, all of that. But it was also decency, human decency and truth and science, all of that was on the ballot yeah, and, and what do we stand for as Americans? Yeah. He reflect, you know, like I tell my children, you reflect me, like I reflect my parents, right? How I speak, how I behave. He reflected us in the, in the world. And in the worst way. Let me, um, let me play this clip here. And so I am thinking about her and about the generations mm. of women, black women, Asian, white, Latina, Native American women who throughout our nation's history have paved the way for this moment tonight. Women who fought and sacrificed so much for equality and liberty and justice for all, including the black women who are often too often overlooked, but so often prove they are the backbone of our democracy. And what a testament it is to Joe's character that he had the audacity to break one of the most substantial barriers that exists in our country and select a woman as his vice president. I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Yeah, because Jocelyn's going to be the next little girl (laughs) sees that this is a country of possibilities. And to the children, of our country, regardless of your gender, our country has sent you a clear message. Dream with ambition, lead Mm -hmm. with conviction, and see yourselves in a way that others may not, simply because they've never seen it before. But know that we will applaud you every step of the way. Beautiful, beautiful. I have to say, throughout that entire clip, I was watching Jocelyn's reaction and Jocelyn, it was like watching a kid on Christmas morning. That her <laughs> words were resounding so deeply with you just as a female yeah. politician. It's, you know, a person of color in the U.S. And how, what was that, the impact of that for you personally? Yeah, I have to say as an immigrant myself who came to this country with my a mother who didn't even study to the third grade, but always said that education was important. You know, she she got to me yesterday. It moved me because I had a dream and I worked hard, but I didn't have a lot of role models. And little girls can see her. They can see her today and they can dream. And that is powerful. I have a set of twin girls that are in college. They can see. And there's a saying that said, 
says you cannot be what you can't see. And now we can see. That is powerful. It is moving. It is inspiring. Yeah. I mean, that, for me, like I said, I mean, biggest thing was getting Trump out, but that is the biggest thing. I mean, I, Biden's great. Love Biden. But even when she became the candidate for vice president, I was excited and just it, it started to like galvanize me and, and the movement that I had behind Biden um, by selecting her because, you know, throughout the whole presidential run, um, I wasn't sure who I really liked as a candidate. I really wasn't sure on Biden that Biden, um, he sold me <clears throat> on his heart, um, which was a good way to go. Um, but it was really Kamala that kind of galvanized that for me. Mark, did you have any comment? Well, I, yeah, I just, uh, I pretty much echo everybody here. Like, it, it's, it's really uh, great to see some representation finally for, for, you know, people leading your country. And it, it just, even people that can speak in complete sentences, you know, like, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's good to see some intelligence back in leadership, you know, it, 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 no more anti-science, no more anti-whatever, you know, like we can just get back to business. Yeah, I do want to talk about, um, well, first, um, let's talk about Trump supporters, because uh, mm. there's a comment online from, let me see if I can find it real quick, from Mike Winter, it said, we have to deal with the fact that 70 million people voted for him. Several of them because he spoke their racist ideologies. Now, Biden did say like this. All those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself. But now, let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. Yeah. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. So, Dawson, how, how did, I mean, when we're talking about these Trump supporters, and Mike Winter made the great point of 70 million people, which is the second most number of votes for any candidate in history um, for Donald Trump, says that there is a lot of people who support his ideals, his personality, who he is. I mean, how do you bridge the gap between that, knowing that if he, he was so divisive? How do we bridge the gap between those supporters? You know, when I first saw that number, I was really sad. I was too. You know, I was really sad because I knew that there was division, but to see it that close yes. really is very telling about our country and about people and that was really it broke my heart I'm because i didn't believe those numbers yeah we have a lot of work to do and i think that if anyone can do it is joe biden and kamala harris because they have the heart the warmth they can feel people he his heart is open you can honestly last night when you listen to him you can tell that he meant it that it was honest from his core and that is what this country needs so that we can heal and i know that he is going to work on it and he will surround himself with people that can have those values they share those values and principles 
that we're all the same and that he's the president for everyone regardless. And he keeps saying it and he needs to repeat it so that people can believe it and start accepting it. Yeah. But I was very disappointed in those numbers. And I, I want to get to Robbie and Mark real quick, but I want to I want to say that was that was telling to me is like when you I was just and I was talking to my wife while I was going on. I was like, I can't believe that many people voted for him. I just I just can't even believe it. Even before I saw the numbers, I'm just like, I don't I don't understand what it is that is appealing. And I don't believe that we have 70 million racists in the country. I don't think we have 70 million evil people in this country or, or people that are like Trump or, or um, I just don't believe that. But there is something that is something that draws them to him. And I, I am just shocked, honestly. I'm shocked that there is such that divisiveness. Robbie, Mark? It's uh, like you said, I, there aren't 70 million. Okay. There may or there may not be 70 million racist people in America. May or may but not. <laughs> there, it may or may not be, right? Um, so it's just, the, <laughs> might be, but that's it. It just, he appeals to a lot of those groups that they're fringe groups because he appeals to multiple platforms. He supports multiple platforms that promote xenophobia, that promote ignorance, that promote, you know, if you're making 400k or more, um, you're not in line with Biden's tax plan. So people who are pulling down money are going, well, you know, that's a reason for me. I want to protect what's my pile. And I'm hoping that it'll, Joe's speech was very telling you that they want to collaborate, that they want to work together, not as not as enemies, but as fellow Americans. They're opponents on political platforms, but at the end of the day, you're serving good of the american people and you have to find mm -hmm. that middle ground somewhere you're going to do it by seeing one another again listening to one another what are the That's needs right. what are the issues and seeing joe and kamala's families together on stage when the fireworks were going diversity. off mm -hmm. the diversity on stage it was beautiful to me it's like okay that's the melting pot that they that they're always talking about and we're seeing it visibly it's there so I think that as a party, we need to be uh, more inclusive, um, especially we cannot forget that even though Biden won, thank God, um, that you still have Warren, Elizabeth Warren, you have Bernie Sanders, and you had a lot of people that were running, and that there are a lot of people that um, feel that they have not been included and not brought to the table. So I think you're going to see new people in leadership you're going to see more of a rainbow um in the room and i think that the party is very much aware of that and they and you can see by the efforts that were made you know the calls to georgia to pennsylvania to florida the fact that the party you know brought it sort of worked on different coalitions and helped Biden build it i think that as we move forward you know we have to do things differently People have spoken and they want that. And yeah. it's about being in the room, right? It's about yeah. being in the room. And my final question to you is, when are we gonna see you in Congress so we can? <laughs> you know what, I try, I try in 2016. I remember. And, um, and I gave it my absolute best. 
I left it all out there. I was able to get the endorsement of the Washington Post and the community supported me, um, but, but I did not win, so it wasn't my time. Um, and you don't know what the future holds, right? I love to serve. I'm not in this, honest to God, because I'm thinking of what's the next move. And I know this I'm about in you. It. I know this I about you. I do this seven days a week. It's a part-time job. I go to a hospital. I go to to a school. I I I I I I do food distribution. I do this from my heart in a very humble way. And no um, question. you know, we'll see what the future holds. I love my community. And this is why I want I really you to do. run because that that's what that's what that's what we need. You know, that's what we need Thank now. Um, and so I appreciate you so much for joining us. This was an incredible discussion. So yes, uh, thank you, you so are much welcome for joining back us. Often. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having a beautiful, generous heart. I am optimistic. My children are optimistic, you know, yeah. and, but we need to worry about those people that didn't vote for him and yes. we need to help bring them, you know, to the table and, um, and address it as well. And we're ready. All right. Thank it was so a much. pleasure and honor being with you, Mark and Rob. Thank you so yes, much, Delica Jackson and Melnick. Thank you. Thank you. Author Jeff Perlman and Delegate Jocelyn Pena Melnick are absolutely amazing. We're so thankful to have had them on our show. Now, as you all know, we love to end our show with a fun game to lighten things up before you leave us. This clip is from episode 31, the last time we had our four original Truth Lies Shenanigans hosts together on the same show. And what a fun show it was. So since we have all the OGs in the house. The original. Yes. Old guard, Netflix. No, sorry. <laughs> we're playing our favorite, most likely two. Uh-oh. All right. So we're ready? Right. Let me put my well, super in your pants on. It was one of our more popular. All right. Real simple. <laughs> Real simple. I'll show a statement on the screen, and each one of you will point or name the person that is most likely to do whatever it says. The person. Leo. Says, Wait a minute. Leo. <laughs> <laughs> the person with the most fingers pointing at them gets a point. Person with the most points wins the game and gets the final thought for the show. All right, so for example, we'll say most likely to poop in their pants and we don't say Neo. We don't point at, we don't point at Neo. No, Shenanigan. No. <laughs> All right. All right, so we're ready. All right, Jan East, you got the scoreboard? Got it. Yes. All right, let's go. Most likely to kiss a poster of a celebrity. Oh, that's this way. Huh. Yeah, uh, that one. Yeah. Shenan w shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the easy one. Lizzie wins that one. I'm not kissing no posters. I'm not going to tell you the celeb, but I've kissed him on several occasions. Wait, you need to tell us then. That's, now you have to tell us. Donald Trump? Yeah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're just going to assume that until you tell us. So. Yep. <laughs> You got a little orange on your nose. You Are you ready? <laughs> Pull a girl's hair. I'm still going with Lizzie on that one. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, no, no I respect. I respect the female's hair. I respect the woman's hair. Mm -mm, no, nope. I'm not pulling nope. a woman's hair. So, <laughs> nope. Sorry, Liz, you get that point. Ivy was like new kids <laughs> on the block. Okay, <laughs> that was a poster. 
No, no, not that one. Who's most, likely, who's most likely to donate blood? I'm going to go right here. Who are you pointing at, Lizzie? I can't tell you pointing at. Shit, eat. <laughs> eat. All right. Eat. Okay. So me, I get the point. All right, I get a point. I'm All right. All right. What? Wait, most... wait, wait. I told y'all he cheats. I told y'all he cheats. <laughs> no, you said East, but East was pointing at me, and I was pointing at me. So that's two. Oh, I thought East was raising his hand like him. <laughs> Who got points for the first one? Who got points for the first one? Lizzie got the first one. Oh, y'all were wrong. Lizzie got two. He's got. She's got two points. All right. Uh, I thought we all got points. We all voted for Lizzie, didn't we? No, but who, whoever gets the most points can. Okay, so most likely to wear the same clothes two days in a row. Oh boy. Mm. Jam. <laughs> okay, Jam gets it. Jam's got the point only because Lizzie broke the tie. <laughs> All right. Most likely to cry in a public place. Hmm. Hey, I go with Lizzie. Okay. <laughs> I gotta get this pointing thing down. Uh, yeah, damn. Okay, damn. What'd you say? Eve? I cry a lot, y'all. I cry a lot. With, so. okay. Oh no. Oh, Lizzie's about to witness. Yes, she is. Of course. I'm old. So Melanie Rochelle James said definitely not Lizzie. She's a big O. I think that was the last question. I think it was the last question. I think she was talking about the last question. <laughs> All right. Most likely to pee in a bottle. I got jam. Jam. Oh, that's jam. Oh, yeah. No questions. Jam. I've heard stories. I've heard stories. I know the stories. That's stopping now. Most likely to have a career as a stuntman. Career as a stuntman. Yeah, I'm going with jam too on that one. All right, we're going first one to four wins. First one to four. I don't know how many I have. You have three. Okay, cool. Hold their breath the longest. Uh, Jam, I'll go with Jam. He swims a lot. Okay, Jam gets that point. Jam gets that point. Oh, that's a win. All right, Jam. Good job, Jam. Way to come back, brother. Way to come back. That's all the time we have for tonight. I'd like to thank you guys for joining us. We hope that maybe you learned something new, gained a new perspective, or even got some things off your chest. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe at TLS Live Show. And if you missed any of today's episode, check out our clips online on YouTube, Facebook, and share those out. Remember, you can also listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Alexa, you name it. You should find us to search for or ask your favorite digital assistant for the Truth Lies Shenanigans podcast. All right. It was a fun, fun show. A lot of great clips. Don't forget, watch our next live show on Wednesday, 8 p.m. Now, for our final thought of the day, we have Mr. Rob B. Rock. Yes. So Thanksgiving is squarely in the rearview mirror, and we're heading into December, the season of giving, the season of charity, the season of goodwill. No matter how you celebrate or choose not to celebrate, it has been a long year. Close out the year well. Treat yourself well. Be kind to others. 
be good to yourself. And let's just bring in whatever you celebrate, December 25th, New Year's celebrations. Let's bring it in well. Hi, guys. Great show. Enjoyed it. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you.